everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Monday, December 6th. Hi, I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders. I'm being joined, as always, by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports to review all of yesterday's games in week 13 of the NFL. We are live streaming right now on YouTube and Twitch, Twitter and Facebook, and in the little widget on the corner of footballoutsiders.com. Hi, everybody. Uh, if you're watching us, please be sure to ask comments in the chat. We'd love to talk about all the Week 13 games. And if you're on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe to the show. We are on every weekday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, hello also to those of you listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Don't forget to become an FO Plus subscriber. FO Plus is now on sale just 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer. Gets you all of our advanced stats, analysis, fantasy, football projections, and research data, plus betting information. Don't miss out on the limited time offer, 99 cents a week. You can access at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or through the link in the description of this show. Ian, how was week 13 for you? It was good. A lot of action, had a busy weekend, so uh, a busy day of football capped a busy weekend and had some really good games coming down to the finish uh, in, in a couple of those, so really exciting. Both of my teams had bye this week, so I didn't really have a rooting interest uh, necessarily, but it was a good weekend all in all. FO Plus Picks had a good week. My pick of the week was the Chargers, so that went out well. I started out good. Um, with my ESPN picks, but I was counting on a Ben Roethlisberger interception and a couple of different times the Ravens dropped interceptions. I was very upset. Like I didn't get my Ben Roethlisberger pick, but uh, we can talk about that game later. The, the biggest, most exciting game of the week may have been Vikings versus lions. Like who would have expected the lions to be involved in such a big game. But of course they got their first win of the season and a game that came down to the final play with big-time calls and win probability swings. Yeah, the Vikings find themselves in yet another close game, another heartbreaking loss it seems like happens all the time for them. They just they can't escape it. I feel like they're the Chargers of the last, what, three, four, five years it's been that they just cannot, cannot pull it out late. But, yeah, Dan Campbell continues to, to be really impressive in his first year kind of fell off a little bit the last few weeks as far as fourth down decision-making goes uh, compared to the beginning of the season. But this week he ramped it back up, came in only 29th in our coach rankings. Part of that has to do with the, the Lions being so low in the EPI, which is basically just the team performance on the field. Um, he was 21st in CCI, fourth down decision-making coming in. So I mentioned he'd struggled of late, but I expect he's going to move up uh, quite a bit in that CCI metric and, and likely pull him up a little bit. Uh, overall as well so started off first quarter only 10 minutes left had the fifth best fourth down decision of the week fourth and one at his own 41 it's really come kind of common practice for him to go for these on his own 35 his own 40 45 you know within those 10 15 yards of midfield when he goes for it there I'm really not surprised anymore which is really surprising to see especially from a first year coach he and Brandon Staley both have been really good where typically we see these coaches are a little bit more conservative they don't want to don't want to do anything too crazy in their first year. But this one was a 4% increase in pre-snap win probability. Didn't convert it. Uh, Jared Goff up the middle got stopped, got no gain, turned it over, but still was a good call. And that kind of is foreshadowing a call, the biggest call of the weekend, really, that 
he was almost the GOAT in yet another loss for the Lions. Uh, fourth and one, only four minutes left in the game at their own 28, leading by two. Chose to go for it. This is an 18.9% increase in pre-snap win probability. And kind of the reasoning behind why this is such a big play, we had someone on Twitter respond to us um, saying that seems a little big. But in this situation, if you punt the ball away, Minnesota gets the ball around four minutes left. They have to drive down for a field goal or a touchdown, you know, a score. If they do, they're likely going to take up the whole clock, if not pretty much all of it. They still have three timeouts. Detroit's only got one. So if they go for it, they get it. The game's not over. Minnesota's got three timeouts. But Detroit would have been up to like 65%. They didn't get it. But with Minnesota already being in field goal range, they get it at like the 21. The fumble kind of helped uh, Detroit, I think, by getting Minnesota seven yards closer. They were able to get into a first and goal situation, scored on third and goal, leaving a minute 50 left for Detroit, which was obviously just enough time for them to get down the field uh, for that game-winning touchdown. So just a, re- a great call from Campbell. I mean, I was—I kind of, want to say that I'm not surprised, but even from him, I was a little surprised to see him go for it. I, I want to just say this shows the difference between whether it's good to go for it and whether the play call that you had was correct. Mm-hmm. Because that golf pass to do a play action rollout just seemed like a bad play call. And Jason Kabinda, the fullback, was looking around like he wasn't sure who he was supposed to block. And mm-hmm. there ended up being an untouched rusher came in and took golf down. Yeah, and it looked like, uh, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, it looked like it was a rollout to the right and he had a guy in the flat that Minnesota played pretty well, I think. They had what, a couple rushers in, and they had a guy on that receiver, if I remember that correctly. So the, the play call, you said, wasn't the best, but Minnesota, I think, played it fairly well for the most part, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I would trust, you know, like everyone called for, just run it, you know, up the middle. You've got, you know, Jared Goff on a sneak. He didn't get it earlier, but the, the one yard, or at least a better play call than that where kind of everyone's on the same page. You mentioned the fullback kind of. Didn't didn't take care of business like you should have there. But, yeah, ended up coming away with the win. Um, they would go down the field and get the touchdown, The obviously the most impactful play of the entire week. It comes in as the third most impactful play of the season, but the most impactful non-kicking play of the year. So that touchdown with four seconds left from the 11 was to Amon Ross St. Brown, who I had in loser league, so this did not happen at all. <laughs> Terrible, terrible. Yeah, that was rough, but it was an 80.2% swing in win probability. The only two ahead of it, I mentioned, were two kicks. Uh, Both of these teams were involved in those games. It was the Justin Tucker game-winning field goal, the 66-yarder. The other one was Greg Joseph's miss against Arizona back in, I think it was week two. So this one, the most impactful non-kicking play of the year. They were at at 19.8% to win prior to the snap, a one in five. In NFL, you only get really any sport, you only get one shot at it. Um, Detroit didn't need five. They got one out of one. So they were able to win it and come away with their first win. So really excited to see them get there, especially at home. Uh, really awesome to see. And I think that's two years in a row, too. They've won the game at the butt. Last year it was against Atlanta, where Todd Gurley scored but tried not to score. And then Stafford hit Hawkinson, I think, for the game winner last year. So a couple big last-second wins for them the last couple of years. Yeah, I guess when they win, it never happens. But when it does happen, they make it exciting. I I will point out the Vikings were the better team in this game by the DVOA. Um, They outgained the Lions 6.0 yards per play to 5.2. And they won the turnover battle 2-1. to Normally, if you outgain the other team and win the turnover battle, you will win the game. And in fact, in my post-game win expectancy formula, 
based on the DVOA splits of this game, the Lions would only be expected to win 14% of the time. It's one of the most surprising wins of the year. And the Vikings are still 11th in DVOA on the season, despite the fact that they, this is not a good game, right? Like, even though they had the higher DVOA for the game, when you adjust for the fact that they played the Lions, like both teams were negative. So, um, but the Vikings are still really high. But at this point at five and seven, their season is pretty cooked, which is too bad. Yeah. Because when I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, the Vikings were my $5 what the heck long shot bet. And I do not think I will be cashing that ticket. Yeah, the, the loss pretty much locks up the, the NFC North, which was pretty much already locked up. But I think Green Bay's up four with five to go. Um, one thing that was interesting from this game, too, just kind of a, a side note, like I said not really an anomaly, but Minnesota was 0 for 3 on two-point conversions, where typically, you know, that's around a 50%, you know, 47, 48. You would expect them to get at least one of those. Uh, and if they went 0 for 3, that game is tied at the end, yep. Yep. Well, so no, because was, Detroit, Detroit would have the, the extra point. They would have kicked the extra yep. point at the end if Minnesota had gotten to two. So it would have happened with Detroit would have won by one with the extra point. Or knowing the way Minnesota and Detroit games go, Detroit would have missed the extra point and the game would have gone to overtime and ended in a tie. Surprise! So yeah, that was interesting too. I, know I was watching Red Zone and Scott Hansen mentioned yeah, by the rule book they're actually supposed to have them kick that extra point. I think I was—I don't know why they didn't. Yeah, the uh, reason I know it didn't have why an they, on the game. they didn't kick the extra point is the idea that it has no impact on the game. But because of the possibility that you could block the extra point and return it for a two-point conversion to tie the game, they should have had them kick the extra point. Mm -hmm. Because there is the possibility of, you know, however long, the possibility of Minnesota scoring two points on that play, they really should have kicked the extra point. But also, what Detroit then would have done is just come out and kneel on the ball. Yep. Two Thus giving Minnesota absolutely no chance to block an extra point and run it back, thus making the play pointless. So I understand why they didn't bring them out just so Detroit could kneel on the ball and then the game would be over. Yeah, Washington did that what, just a few weeks ago against Tampa Bay because there was the, the funny video where like no one on the team knew what was going on. Like, wait, why, why, we're going for two. Why are we going to kneel it? And uh, Taylor Heineken said the same thing, so they can't run it back. I think at that point it was like an 11-point game. 10-point game, but it would have um, – it wasn't as big of a deal in that game, but still, yeah, the very same thing would have happened for, for Detroit. That's absolutely right. Yeah, but this by this by this point, you know, by, you know they've won the game. Detroit's won the game, so all they have to do is kneel on the ball and the game's over. There's no reason for them to even try to kick an extra point. Uh, let's talk about another hugely uh, interesting close game that went down to the final play, and that is the Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The interesting coaching matchup here between John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin. Harbaugh ranks sixth in the Edge Sports Coach rankings, and Tomlin is dead last. Yeah, this one, you know, a good big one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL. In the NFL, uh, Ravens Steelers. Tomlin just kind of more, as Scott Brown put it on our podcast this morning, just on brand for Tomlin. He he dropped to worst last week, um, surpassing Robert Sala for 32nd in our coach rankings. Just has not been a good year for the Steelers really on the field or Tomlin as far as fourth down decision making. This was more of the same from Tomlin, fourth worst coaching call or fourth down decision of the week. Third quarter, 347 left. 
So fourth and four on the Baltimore 49. So across midfield, decides to punt, trailing by seven. It was a 3.2% error. I'm pretty sure this is the one. It was only like a 24-yard punt. He punted it to the Baltimore 25-yard line. I think it was a fair catch. So got pretty much nothing out of it um, in this situation. So really just questionable decision there. Like it is Pittsburgh. Both teams, both offenses really have struggled uh, in this game, you know, struggled to really move the ball or put up points. But with that Baltimore offense, as bad as they've been, not really as bad as they've been, I think they've been around kind of middle of the pack, not really up to their standards. But with them, it's, you know, the big play can come at any time. Like you can't just count on your defense is going to keep holding them and holding them. You've got to be aggressive, go for it, especially in that kind of, you know, there's a low low risk zone there around midfield. Um, the, the field position game isn't really worth it in this situation. It wasn't. So just another bad fourth down call by Tomlin. Um, Going down to the fourth quarter, we had uh, some big win probability swings, so not really pertaining to fourth downs, but impactful plays. We had our fifth most impactful play of the week was the what ended up being the game-winning touchdown from Roethlisberger to Deontay Johnson. Ended up with two touchdowns, dropped one at the end of the first half, uh, but made up for it in the second half, coming away with the game-winner here on really a great play. I think this was the one where Deontay started out left, came in hard like he was running a slant and stopped and just turned out to the left and really was just an easy – Pitch and catch from Roethlisberger to Johnson to get in the end zone. It was a 23.5% increase in win probability. For the Steelers, typically they got the two-point conversion to go up seven. Then we had what is probably the most controversial play or decision of the weekend, You know, even more so than, than Dan Campbell's because Baltimore lost. But the two-point conversion. So Baltimore, only 12 seconds left. They scored 20-19, to 19, choose to go for two. And this one is, is really difficult um, because you have it the way the model sees it. You also have the other things to take into account. Um, like Harbaugh said in his post-game press conference, he felt like they were out of cornerbacks. Marlon Humphrey had gotten hurt on Pittsburgh's last drive. So it's, it's really a tough decision there. We, unless you're a big underdog, going for it or go, taking the extra point is the, is the better decision, at least by our model. Um, as Baltimore, even with a really uh, the worst offense or defense, it's still a better decision. You know, if we look at them and say, all right, they've got the worst defense in the entire league on, off, on rush and pass, kicking the extra point because you have Justin Tucker, because, you know, they're, they're still the better team. Uh, they're pregame favorites. They don't all of a sudden lose that pregame right. advantage. The, the, Ravens are, the Ravens will be favored in overtime, both because they are the better team and because they have the best kicker in the history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it just was kind of interesting, too. I would love to know, Scott made a good point this morning, that Harbaugh didn't really come out and say, you know, it was a clear cut. Like, he wasn't very, you know, full on, like, yeah, it was the right decision. As he kind of talked about the injuries and stuff and not taking anything away from him. I'm really interested to know, you know, we know Baltimore has a really good analytics group. Um, we know some of the guys up there, and they do a really good job. But I'm interested to know what they had that as with their numbers. If it was, they also had the extra point. Harbaugh said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to go go with my gut and go for it here. It may have been that this is one of those decisions where the model has it so close that you go with your gut. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the analytics don't say whether to do either. Right. And that's – I wonder that. And like we've said, that the injury is kind of in him just not wanting to take a chance in overtime. Right. But, yeah, the, so going back this – I said this was the third most impactful play of the week. The loss dropped them uh, – not getting it dropped them 37.1%. Uh, ended up being the third biggest play of the week there. So 
Yeah, Todd Singer points out that the Colts ran out of healthy cornerbacks in the second half against Baltimore, so Harbaugh knows what that looks like, and it is not good. <laughs> that so, is true. They, that was a tough one for, for the Colts. What surprised me is that there were a lot of analytically inclined people on Twitter who seemed to believe that the analytics favored going for two. But every model that I saw, not just the edge sports model, but also the NFL next gen stats model, favored kicking the extra point because yeah. of the fact that the Ravens would be favored in overtime and had the better kicker as well. So I, I understand not kicking the extra point. I understand the reason why Harbaugh did what he did. What I'm surprised at is that people thought Harbaugh made the analytics decision. I think Harbaugh made the gut decision. Yep. And I'm okay with that. And it was uh, the NFL. I, know that I saw their tweets too. They said, you know, typically it's around 47.9, 48% to convert what they said. And it's, but they missed it by inches. So they must have thought they had a play that they would convert more than 48% of the time. And they that pass and is a few more did. inches in. They because went, they Mark Andrews was open. Mark Andrews was open yep. and that TJ Watt got pressure and Lamar Jackson just missed him by like just a tiny bit right yep. off his fingertips. But he was open, and he waltzes into the end zone, and they win that game. Yeah, and interestingly, too, we, we pulled up in the post-game press conference. Tomlin said, you know, they are predicted. We know that they're heavily involved in analytics. So in that regard, they are predictable. Also, think basically saying, you know, they're involved in analytics. This That's was a, analytics a silly says. comment because you know what's predictable? If they send the offense on the field, they're going for two. If yeah. they send the kicker out. They're kicking the extra point. Like, you don't need to predict which they're going to try. They're not running a fake to win the game. Like, if they send the offense out on the field, they're going for two. You don't need to predict anything. And that's what I think it was Cameron Hayward I saw in a different article saying, okay, he came off the field thinking, you know, not expecting them to go for two. They called the timeout. I think it was Pittsburgh's last timeout to kind of catch their breath and get get situated for the next play for that two-point conversion. So they didn't really know what was going on at that point, it seemed like, but – yeah, it's a tough yeah. break. Like you said it was just just inches. They missed that one. It's a hugely important play because of the fact that Baltimore had been the number one seed in the AFC. That was celebration time for all of the other AFC contenders. And in the playoff odds I put up this morning, Baltimore is now listed with only a 7% chance of getting the number one seed. So instead of being the team that was in the lead for the number one seed, they're now behind the Patriots, Bills, Titans, and Chiefs and tied with the Chargers in their odds of getting the number one seed. So it was a hugely important play. Yeah, and it makes Cincinnati's loss earlier in the day even bigger because that would have put Cincinnati in the first place. They would have had the tiebreaker um, over Baltimore. So really big missed opportunity. We'll get to that game as well in our, in our top fives, but a really big, big blow for them as well. And we'll get also to updated coach rankings later this week, coming Wednesday. You want to look for that at edgesports.com. That's edjsports.com with Ian and Katie George doing updated coach rankings. Now let's look at the most impactful plays of the week. These are the plays that had the most impact on the game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. And the, most of them we've covered already just going through those first two games that we talked about. Uh, this seems to be yeah. last week's graphic. Yeah, guys. that looks like last week's. All right. Well, we can talk about the play, uh, even though uh, we don't have the graphic. 
Uh, we covered already the Steelers and, Steelers and Ravens are the number five and number three plays. The number three play being, I believe, the uh, the missed two-point conversion and the number five play being the touchdown by the Steelers that took the lead. And we covered already in the Lions and Vikings game, the number four most impactful play of the week, which was Jared Goff's fumble on fourth and one late in the game. Let's talk about the number two most impactful play of the week, which was Bengals and Chargers. Yep, just mentioned this one. The Bengals uh, were down big early, able to stage a comeback. Uh, weren't able to get all the way back. Chargers were up 24-22. Bengals were driving. They had second and two at the Chargers 34. Already in field goal range to take the lead, potentially early in the fourth quarter. Obviously looking for more, looking for a touchdown. Joe Mixon just kind of starts to bounce it off to the right, loses the ball. It didn't really look to me like anyone got a hand on it to knock it out. Uh, could be wrong on that. I only saw the play. No, it looked like he just lost it. Yeah, and uh, Chargers picked it up and took it all the way back for the touchdown, and that essentially ended the comeback effort for the Bengals. Just a huge, huge loss there, 37.5% decrease in win probability. Bengals were actually favored at that point, 54.3% to win. This drops them all the way down to 17%, and we now think they ended up losing 41, ended up giving up uh, another touchdown, field goal, two-point conversion, I believe, uh, losing this one pretty big. So we're really just a, a, a dagger for the Bengals there late in that game. Yeah. And then number one, obviously, we talked about was the, the touchdown for the, the Lions that won the game, getting their first win. The touchdown that screwed up our loser league teams. Absolutely. Uh Let's talk about the top five play calls of the week, the decisions that coaches made that had the most positive impact on the game in terms of win probability. Number five, we already covered. It was the Lions in the first quarter. Let's talk about number four, which is from last night's game. And I think this was a little controversial, how much the Broncos went for it on fourth down last night. There was a lot of discussion on Twitter that they should have taken the points at the end of that 20-play drive. But, I mean, I think we saw by the end of the game, I mean, they're off and field, field goals weren't doing it. Yeah, this one, this was the first of three fourth down conversions on there. This was the 20-play, 11-something minute drive. They didn't get any points, but not only – they didn't get points, but a good point that was made this morning here, they, took, they kept the Chiefs' offense off the field for 11 minutes where they were unable to score. Like, you'd love to get points, obviously. We're not saying that – 11 minutes of game time, you know, is worth not getting any points, but there's still a little bit of a positive that was had here. Um, the first one was fourth and one at the Kansas city. 46 was a 4.4% increase to go for it. They converted three plays later. They've got fourth and seven at the 42. This was about a 2% uh, increase yet. You've got that fourth and long. So it's not going to, obviously not going to be as big of a, of a, in a difference between going for it and kicking at fourth and seven, but they still made the correct call. And then Aaron, the one you were talking about fourth and two from the eight ended up being our seventh best fourth down call of the week. So not in the top five, but just outside of it. Uh, good for 3.6% increase. So Fangio just came in with a really, you know, aggressive mindset. He was not kind of middle of the pack in terms of CCI coming into this game. Uh, but knew, you know, field goals weren't going to win this game, to your right. point, the, the score at the end of the As game. Mike Tanger so pointed out, the problem is not going for it on fourth down so much. The problem is putting yourself in position where you have to go for it on fourth down so much. So the problem with the Broncos was not getting the third downs. Yeah. 
And we saw that from Detroit. I had a similar situation. I think it wasn't until their final drive. They were that horrendous they converted a third down. down in that game. Absolutely horrendous. Only converted two third downs the whole game. Yep. And they both came on that final drive, right? Or at least one of one of them, one of the two did. It was late in the game. I know that. Yeah. All right. But, yeah. Number three coach's decision. Yep. Number three, Robert Sala. So comes in. He just moved up a spot in our coach rankings last week. This was fourth and goal at the one. A uh, little, almost midway through the second quarter, trailing by two. Their kicker first uh, first game misses his two extra points in the NFL. But this was some good news for the Jets. They went for it. it was a 4.9% increase in pre-snap win probability. Able to get the touchdown. We saw him not a few weeks ago, early in the season against Tennessee in overtime. Had the third and goal at the one. Zach Wilson scrambled, lost some yards. Uh, Salah said he would have gone for it. Fourth and goal at the one. He got a chance to do that here. And... Uh, just a, a really good call from him. I think a lot of coaches do that in this situation, but still to see him kick that is, or see him go for that, uh, you really love to see there. And then number two, Kyle Shanahan. Uh, this one is a pretty straightforward one. It's early in the game, about four minutes left in the first quarter. Tie game, fourth and one at the Seattle, 45. Chose to go for it. It was a 5.2% increase, pre-snap win probability. Same game. It's not on our top fives. You mentioned number one we talked about was uh, Dan Campbell. But this same game was we saw Pete Carroll be aggressive, ended up getting a yeah, – How rare game. is that? Uh, yeah, I tweeted out for us saying, you know, it's not often that you hear Gutsy call and Pete Carroll in the same sentence. But he – you know, we well, a lot of times we prefer just to put the offense on the field and go for it. But I don't think – I think he, him playing the long game, you know, helped out where no one expected him to, to run anything like that. Talk about the fake punt, yeah. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about the top five worst play calls and I'll remind everybody who's watching live on the live stream to please like and subscribe to our videos and channels on YouTube and Twitch. And please, we want to see your comments and questions. We want to hear from you. Talk about week 13, what you want to know about week 13. Let's talk about the decisions coaches made with the most negative impact on win probability. And these are mostly, mostly we have not gone through these already. Yeah, number five, Joe Judge. No, he's not new to this list. Really no surprise here. He probably would have been on here more had they had Daniel Jones at quarterback because we know even with Daniel Jones, he's not going for it on some of these fourth downs. This one was a fourth and two at the Miami 46. Five minutes left in the third, down by four. Offense obviously struggling. I mean, there's really no excuse for this. I mean, the it ended up being a touchback, so you only gained 26 yards of field position. Really, I don't think is worth the 2.6 they gave up by choosing to punt instead of going for it here. And, I mean, I, Judge, it's, it's two years in a row now. He's just – he has these moments where he goes for it every once in a while, but I feel like nine times out of ten, it's – for some reason, he just refuses to do it. Number four, again, we covered Mike Tomlin here. Fourth and four at the Baltimore 39. This was the one I mentioned he punted. The punt ended up only being 25 yards to the Baltimore 24. The pre-snap win probability decrease was 3.2%. Number three and number two are very similar to that Steelers one. They're both the Raiders down seven, uh, one in the first quarter, one in the second quarter. They're 3.3 and 3.4% errors, um, so pretty similar. Yeah. But it's a fourth and five at the Washington 48, and fourth and four at the Vegas 48. Both decisions, yeah. we get this every, right around that midfield area. Just the risk isn't as high, especially early in the game. And with a team – you know, Derek Carr, the Raiders have a decent offense. They're not one of the best, but he's a decent enough quarterback that 
they should be going for this in this situation. The uh, biggest difference between them is that in one of them, Rich Passaccia is wearing a hat, and in the other one, he's yeah. not wearing a hat. Yeah, the, I guess the, the hat makes it a little bit worse. He, he can't think as well with that hat on, so it gives him a 3.4% error uh, there for number two. The number one is on the flip side, Ron Rivera. This is one that's – This is going to be a controversial that, statement, certainly. Absolutely, and I understand it. This was one that even – you know, I it's it's a six and a half. We saw one like this either last week or two, three weeks ago. That was like a 13% error. That was a very similar situation. And this one's a little – I mean, 40 seconds is still a lot of time. But this one's – 40 seconds is still a lot of time. 49 is a long field goal, but indoors it's not that long. It's not like a 58 or something. Right. You should be able to hit a 49 indoors. So I think if I was in Rivera's place, I probably would have made the same decision. I think so, too. And interestingly on this one, we looked at the numbers. I was kind of just figuring out what it would take, how how important the time is there. Once you get down to 31 seconds is when it's kind of the break-even point. The field goal and the go are pretty similar. From that point on, the field goal is the optimal decision. But then something else we looked at that came after this on the, the, the kickoff was very important. It might not seem like much, but Brian, I think it was Brian Johnson kicked it, and it was just short to about the one-yard line where uh, Dow, or Dallas, Las Vegas, had to return the kick. Took six seconds off the clock. That six seconds was worth about 4% in win probability, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when they're down, I think they were in, in like the 30s um, at that point, the, the Raiders were. That's worth quite a bit of uh, that's quite a bit of equity there that late in the game. And we saw though the Raiders through Carr throws a bomb on first down that could have been pass interference. Zay Jones almost made I think it was Zay Jones almost made the catch. Um, yes, so really, yes. he got tugged on the jersey. And there's definitely some refs who would have called that pass interference. He got tugged on the jersey. Yeah. So really, Rivera's decision. We both said we probably would have made the same decision, but almost. You know, ended up hurting them in the end with with uh, the Raiders almost getting down there on that first play field goal range. But at the same time, if he goes for that and doesn't get it, you, you know, you're you're dealing with a whole lot more. You're absolutely roasted for the rest of the season probably for not taking the chance at the field goal. But still, six and a half, not a huge error. It is a large, obviously the biggest of the week. But looking at those other decisions, the other the next biggest is less than three and a half percent. We still are confident in those numbers, obviously, but the six and a half you know, isn't as much as some as we've seen in these situations where you've got a minute and a half left or a minute and 40. Remember, if you miss the field goal, they'll blame the kicker. If you fail yeah. on the fourth and one go, they'll blame the coach. Absolutely. Uh, Todd Singer says, I saw a note on Twitter about Houston and Atlanta having historically poor run offenses. Will that be featured in the DVOA write-up this week? Yeah, let me look into that and we'll see. I don't know yet what I'm going to write up because tonight's game is so important, which brings us to talking about tonight's game, which is so important. The number two team in DVOA versus the number three team in DVOA. So I, I don't know what I'm going to write about tomorrow yet because tonight's game probably determines who's number one going forward. Uh, Patriots playing remarkably well of late with their last three games all over 70% DVOA to tell you how high that is. There was not a single game in week 13 that was as good as the last three Patriots games. Um, it is the line is, I believe, has was has been Bills two and a half and Bills three, and it's gone back and forth between two and a half and three. Yeah, this is with the Bills. Uh, you mentioned number two and number three teams in overall DVOA. The, the Bills lost Tredavious White 
but still the top two defenses in DVOA. Is that right? Yep. So two good defenses, and that comes into play. I'll start with the total. You say it's not often you see a Bills game with a total at 41 points. So really low, you know, two good defenses, the way that you kind of – I think people are expecting uh, Belichick to kind of try and control the game uh, with Mac Jones, but also that Bills – And the weather will be bad. Oh, the weather as well playing a factor. So, yeah, we've got, you know, some home field advantage built in, obviously, for Buffalo. We, we have in our model. So this is closer to – uh, closer to a pick em. we've got it at Buffalo minus one. So really close to that two and a half. There's not a whole lot of, of value to be had there. The over-under I mentioned is a, the total is at 41. We've got it at 43. That Bills team, the offense really hasn't lived up to expectations. And Buffalo, as you know, Aaron, DVOA and variance is the last most inconsistent team. Uh, of all time. So far. Of all time. The most inconsistent team of all time going all the way back to 1983. There has never been a team as inconsistent wow over the first 12 weeks of the season as the Buffalo Bills this year. It definitely seems that way too. They go from, you know, winning big, a big game against Kansas City, who wasn't as good at that point as, as people kind of thought they were, but then they turn around, uh, I don't know if it was a week later, a couple weeks later, and lose to Jacksonville. They lost to Tennessee. Just You never know what you're going to get from them, but still two really good defenses come into this one. Not a lot of value to be had. The market is pretty split as well. Uh, 52%. Oh, this has changed since this morning, since just about an hour or so ago. 52% of the bets are on Buffalo this morning. That was at 51% in turn. Oh, sorry. It is 51% New England. 59% of the money's on Buffalo. So a little bit more of the money on Buffalo, but still pretty close both ways. Just really should be a really good game. Should be a close game. Really hard to pick, pick a side of the way. If anything, there's very, very slight value on New England against the spread. And the the over in this one. Yeah, we we the pay, the fo picks, which I think are discounting home field advantage more than the edge sports picks, have the Patriots favored by one. And Todd Singer is right that the weather game does seem to favor the Patriots' style of play. The Bills are kind of a finesse team. Their their defensive line is primarily about pass rushing. Uh, their offense is primarily about passing. A lot of passing downfield, which should have problems in the wind, you would think, although you would also think Josh Allen's arm would be able to cut through the wind better than Mac Jones's arm. I mean, let's, you know, the most likely result is that these two teams split the two games that they have to play this year, right? The most weather is whoever, whoever wins tonight will lose three weeks from now, but you'd rather have, you'd rather win the first one and be able to go out and play the second one than, to lose the first one. So I, I think this is a very, very close. This is a very, very close game. Absolutely. Yeah, you made the weather kind of favoring New England. It seems similar to that game against Tampa Bay earlier in the year where weather was a factor. It was a close game. You've got that yeah. the, the Bucks team that throws the ball a lot um, and really well, but good defenses. So I, w- I will note that Scott's fantasy projections suggest that both quarterbacks will go over in yardage. Uh, despite the fact that he accounts for the weather, Mac Jones's number is at 198.5, and we suggest he'll go over that 66% of the time. And Allen is at 233.5, and we suggest he'll go over that 68% of the time. So it might be scary to do an over on quarterback passing yards when the weather and the wind is going to be bad, but Scott does account for that. So uh, it's interesting that we point towards overs on both of the passing yards props. Yep, nearly looks like 
two thirds and one almost two thirds of the time and the other one just over two thirds. So, yeah. All right. I want to thank everybody for joining us in today's show. Thank Ian, of course, for joining me every Monday. Don't forget all of our live streams, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, every day, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, thank you to Todd Singer for comments throughout the show. Thank you to Sean MC. Merry Christmas to you, too, a little early. Uh, he wished Merry Christmas to everyone at the Football Outsiders crew. A little, a little Only two weeks, though. Well, two two weeks in, like, three or four days. Who's counting, though? But you missed Hanukkah. It ended last night. Yep. I guess it's still going during the day today. So happy Hanukkah to all of you. Uh, tomorrow will be uh, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen talking fantasy football. Wednesday, I believe, is Brian Knowles with me and Tanya doing Ask Me Anything. Please subscribe to our show, whatever platform you use. Please give a five-star review. They're very helpful for us to grow. And as I've mentioned before, FO Plus is now on sale, 99 cents a week for an annual subscription. All of our stats, splits, analysis, fantasy football research data and betting information. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Thank you, Ian. Looking forward to a big game tonight. Uh, yeah, this Monday night games don't get much better than what we're going to get tonight. So, Should be a good one. Thanks for having me. And join Scott Spratt tomorrow for Fantasy Talk, 1 p.m. Eastern. Bye, everybody.